Tonight we're talking about how to communicate and share your feelings. Now, when it comes to love, when it comes to how we love and how the person we're in a relationship loves us, there are five basic types of love. This comes from a, a man named G uh, Gary Chapman. He's actually a priest. And he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, which I will tell you, I will tell you the entire book in three minutes. No need to read it. Okay? Number one. There are five ways to love someone, according to Gary Chapman. See the board? I'm gonna, sorry, I'll move away. Um, and <coughs> gifts. Words of affirmation. Number three is quality time. Number four is acts of service. Number five is physical touch. If you think you have all five as your love language, it's not possible. You'll have one or two. You need to find what are your dominant love languages. Your, you, two, are, two are good. One should be do more dominant than the other, though. You should, one should be yours. You say, this is my, this is the way I need to be loved. Now, here's the kicker. Most people love their spouse the way they want to be loved. Obviously. If that's the way that I want to be loved, doesn't everyone want to be loved that way? Especially someone who I'm in a relationship with. Yeah, please. Um, that's the whole thing about a relationship is growing and learning from each other, like learning like your, you know, like learning other people's, you know, like it's like kind of like a reflection, like a mirror of, of yourself. And... You're right. But that doesn't mean that just because you yeah. like acts of service that your husband's going to want acts of service. But that's what I'm saying. So like you try to cater, like, you know, you try to see beyond that. But if you don't what we're going to call tonight, communicate, you'll never know what your partner's love language is. And it's so simple. All it is, is simple communication. You need to literally sit down one day and say, hey, what's your love language? I don't know. Because there are people, shockingly, I had a couple in my office this morning, married for seven years, I threw this out at them just for fun. They had no idea. Seven years they're married. How is it possible? Because they never talk. They still never talk. The, the fact that they're still married is a miracle. It's not complicated. Of course, the stuff we'll talk about here is not complicated. But it has to be done. Now, what I'm curious more than anything about tonight is communication. Because we established last week that the key to a long-lasting relationship is trust. trust. The only way 
to create a trusting relationship is through communication. Now, communication is very complicated because even though, yes, we are having a dialogue here and this is communication, this is not really communication. Communication is what? What's the key to communication? Listening? Yes, thank you. The key to communication is listening. Most of us are very good communicators, very bad listeners. What is listening look like? What is active, what we call in psychology active listening? I took, a, I took a little three paragraphs out of this book by Mirish Klasner. It says like this, Active listening requires you to listen with an open mind, uncluttered by inner dialogue. It takes fully focusing and understanding what the other person is saying and not formulating your response while they're talking. You don't have it. <laughs> Active listening is about climbing out of your shoes and into the shoes of the speaker. So, are you listening to me now? Or are you listening to me haphazardly? Are you thinking about whatever is going on? Are you thinking about what happened at work today? Are you thinking about what you're going to be doing later? Are you trying to figure out why the heck you even came here tonight because it's pouring rain outside and we almost got drenched and we should be building arcs instead of coming to classes. Active listening, active listening is being 100% present, 100% present every moment that I'm speaking, or whoever is speaking to you is speaking. Active listening is about climbing out of your shoes and into the shoes of the person who's speaking. They say, don't judge a person until you've run a mile in their shoes, because that way you're a mile away and you have their shoes. When we, when we really listen and acknowledge another person's pain, resentment, or inner conflict, we give them a chance to talk more about what's troubling them. And the more they express, the more they relief, the more relief they'll feel when they'll get clarity. Ultimately, they are more capable of coping with their feelings and problems. I'm sure you know this. What's the basic difference when communication between men and women? Men want the problem solved. Women just want to be validated. Basic difference. So what do all, all the men of the world their wives come home and they're complaining about what happened at work and they're trying to figure out solutions and how to destroy the bosses and how to make practical jokes and how to, how to solve the world's problems. And the woman's like, I don't want that. You're like, what do you mean? I got the best idea. She's like, relax. And then he talks to her and she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. He's like, what do you mean, uh-huh? Tell me the answer already. I wanted a solution. She's like, oh, you want a solution? Once again... We love another the way we want to be loved instead of the way they want to be loved. And that's the key here tonight. We have to figure out how to put ourselves 
into the shoes of our spouse, into the shoes of our partner, into the shoes of the other person, because are we in a relationship with ourselves or are we in a relationship with someone else? And if we're in a relationship with someone else, then that person matters enough to me to figure out what the heck is on his mind or her mind. The trouble is that too often we tend to feel a sense of responsibility when listening to our spouse's trouble. Our task is not about fixing, but understanding, accepting, and empowering them by helping them explore the situation. In effect, we're gently conferring the responsibility back to them. With our support, we allow them to work it through at their own pace. We help them think of options they haven't considered. And ultimately, their decisions have to be their own. They will have to live with and implement their own decisions. I have watched a complete 180 when it comes to traditional therapy. When I first started exploring traditional therapy, it was all about finding solutions. Uh, somebody would come to you, you would, you would work through their issues, talk about, you know, it was all Freudian, right? You have to work through the issues, talk about the inner child, and then find a solution by the end of the hour. Or if you didn't find a solution by the end of the hour, you'd wait till next time and find it then, or you'd wait for five times from now, depending on how many uh, sessions you want to bill for. Today, there's a complete shift in, in traditional therapy, and that is we don't provide solutions anymore. We just help you facilitate your own solutions. Because if I give you a solution to your problem, you'll forget it the minute you walk out of my door. You actually never even heard it. It's my solution, not your solution. So I'm not doing you a service by giving you a solution to your problem. I'm actually doing you a disservice because you are going to work with my solution. What is my solution based on? It's based on the story that you told me. Maybe the story you told me is even not true because you decided to leave out some very important details, which very often happens. Because you didn't come to me to find the solution. You came to me to validate your, your feelings. So let's, let me give you some examples of active listening. Simple things. I wrote four here. What did you mean by you don't like when I cook fish? When did you first start feeling this way? Someone today in my office said seven years ago. And the woman, you should have seen her jaw was to the ground. But I can assure you there's a lot of clarity now. What about the incident bothered you most? People, people fight. Couples fight. And they can finish the fight, have solved the problem, and have no idea what bothered the other person. And this can happen for years, because no one ever asked, what's bothering you most? What's really bothering you? And most importantly, how would you like this to be different? 
What do you want to be different? What is the key, the common thread that runs between all four of these statements, or all four of these questions? What am I doing here? Huh? I'm probing more than probing. I'm empowering you. I know it's a cliche word today, but really, if you use empower properly, that's called empowering. I am empowering you to make your own decision. Now, why is that important in a relationship? Exactly. I am validating you. The key, the key to this process is number one, I validate your feelings. And number two, I am an active listener. I am listening. I care about what you say. Because what you say matters to me. You know why? Because you matter to me. And if you matter to me, what you say is very important. Now, if you don't matter to me, I don't really care what you say. Actually, I'm completely concerned with what you're going to think about what I'm saying. You know, it's so funny. People, people are funny. You, you meet someone the first time. What is everyone thinking? Both people are thinking what the other, what is he thinking about me? What is she thinking about me? Everyone is so concerned about the, what the other one's thinking about them that there's nothing about the other. We become so self-conscious. We become so self-absorbed that we can't even imagine that the person that actually is not thinking about you thinking about what you're thinking of them. Now, there, there's, another, there's another type of listening, which is called empathetic listening. It's a little different than active listening. Um, the way it's defined in Klasner's book is the following. Um, it's the act of taking into consideration the other person's perspective, and it's the ability to understand your spouse's thoughts, feelings, and actions, and to communicate this understanding. I don't want to go into it completely. If you want, I can send you some additional reading on it. Let's go into lesson three. Let's communicate here. Because that's what it's all about. If we learn to communicate, our relationships will be happy and healthy. That's it. When a couple comes to me engaged, and they want to be married, I require one thing. Obviously, uh, the background checks and... Make sure they're Jewish, I don't... Uh, shock right there. Um, well, I am an Orthodox rabbi, you know. Shock, I know. But uh, the one thing I require is one, ses one session of premarital counseling. And that one session is just to learn how to communicate actually, to learn how to fight, which is next week's class. But more importantly, to learn how to communicate. Because fighting is the most important part of communication. So really, just so you know, this week and next week are directly linked with each other. 
because this week we're going to talk about the basis of communication and next week about how to fight. So, many psychologists and advisors are prone to overly optimistic promises about the power of communication to solve all problems. They urge people to share their feelings, talk it out until the problem is resolved. However, this advice can be disastrous. Why would it be disastrous? What's the problem with that? Because you're dealing with two types of personalities. More, more. yes, you're right. You're dealing with two types of personalities, but more than that. It's simple. Not everyone values emotional honesty. That's a value. And not everyone values that. Not everyone has time to listen. And a lot of people will use your personal information against you. You go on a first date, don't spill it out. No need. No one asks to hear your life story. And just because there's awkward moments and you want to fill in the gaps doesn't mean to tell them everything in the first hour. Because now you have 50 men walking around the world that know all your problems and they know everything about you. And that's not okay. Because the piece of your soul in their heads. And you're losing pieces of your soul for no reason. Because we've lost true value in this world. The reality is that not everyone is capable of hearing and empathizing. In fact, empathy is quite rare. It's a rare quality. And it depends on your personality type. There are people who have empathy. That's their personality. And there are people who are not. They have no empathy. According to the, to the Myers-Briggs personality system, People are either dominant thinkers or dominant feelers. Thinking types, which by the way, as a general statement, are 60% of men and 40% of women, have little interest in the world of feelings. They feel no urge to share personal feelings, and they're actually irritated and bored by those who do. They often don't even know what they feel and usually they don't even care. They're focused on functioning, not feeling. In fact, they feel more powerful and in control when they don't expose their feelings. In contrast, the other type is the feeling type, which as a general rule, obviously exception, but as a general rule is 60% women, 40% men, are concerned with their feelings and they're distressed if they can't share them. When these two types get together, there's likely to be a lot of mutual frustration because each has demands which the other can't meet. You see, it's obvious that if you're a feeler, you're gonna have a very big problem with a thinker. Now, the problem is like this. You still need to be a complement to the person you're in a relationship with. So if you're a feeler, you're probably going to be attracted to a thinker. So, we're not saying, and this is very important, we're not saying it's a problem. We're not saying, 
Don't get into a relationship with a feeler because you're a thinker. Or don't get into a relationship with a thinker because you're a feeler. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that it's very important that you learn how to communicate with the person you're in the relationship with. And then you can be in a relationship with a thinker or a feeler or anyone. All you need is communication. Yes? Do you communicate according to being a feeler? Or do you communicate according to being a feeler? You've got to communicate how the, how the person you're in a relationship wants to be communicated with. Because if you're going to communicate the way you want to be communicating, what's going to happen? You're communicating with yourself. You're married to yourself, and you're in a relationship with yourself, and you might as well forget about the person you're in a relationship with. Put the ring around your own finger. Yeah. How do you know if you're a feeler or a thinker? How would you know? Okay, well, we'll get, we'll get to that later. Um, I don't want to go into people who have disorders and uh, OCD and, and, and various things. I've, I've written about it here in your book. I'm not going to go into it uh, tonight. But it is, it is very important to know about various disorders and, and how that will play into a relationship, and especially into communication. But let's talk about feelings for a second. Without feelings, page 21, second to last paragraph, without feelings, there would be no love, no music, art, poetry, or meaningful prayer. But to allow our feelings to rule is like giving the car keys to a three-year-old. Learn not to emote, and when emotional modesty is needed, it's best to inhibit the expression of feelings in the following situations. You see, when sharing... Who overwhelm others. It's immodest to share strong feelings of grief, fear, or rage, especially around children who need to see adults as a source of strength and security. To expose these feelings are just as immodest as exposing parts of the body which should be kept covered. And if the other person is incapable of receiving your pain with empathy and compassion, then don't, don't do it. And we'll talk about this. Actually, let's talk about it right now. When you're in a relationship... Your spouse is not your therapist. That doesn't mean you have secrets. It just means that don't expect them to be your therapist. If you need a therapist, get a therapist. Your spouse is your spouse. You're equal. Your partner. Through the good and the bad. Yes, they should know what's going on, but they don't need to be there to listen to your every whim and issue. So often, so often... Things happen because we expect our spouses to be our therapists. Yes. It's like when you see sometimes uh, like parents overburden their their kids when they're divorced against the other parent, and that saying to like a thirteen-year-old like, "Hey, like, and you just support your your father's a he, you know, your father's a you know." Exactly. <laughs> it, it's so important because if you are a product of a divorced home naturally, that's the way you're going to respond. If you spent your whole life listening to all the problems about your father or your mother, or both of them, then you're naturally going to do the same thing to your spouse. That's all we know. That's our conditioning. And it's so important to be understanding and realize that that's, that's not a healthy relationship. When sharing, 
self-pity and despair will happen. Griping about problems may help people feel better for about 15 minutes. After that co-renumeration, which both sides complain, will actually lower the mood, especially if the problem has no solution. Unless there's a real crisis, which demands a truly empathetic friend. It's best to limit yourself to 15 minutes or so, so you do not sink into bitterness. And then segue into confronting words of faith and trust in God. Let me tell you two very important people you need in your life to be in a healthy relationship. And you only need two people, no one else. Not 50, not 100, not 20. One friend and one mentor. Relationships are not a survey. We don't tell 20 friends and see who gives us the best advice. One friend gets to know about your relationship. You tell more than one friend, you will be confused. Confusion in a relationship will lead to disastrous consequences. You tell one friend, oh, but we got a whole group of friends and we always hang out together. Don't talk about your relationship there. Oh, but they're asking me. They always ask me, so how's Bob? He's good. <laughs> I don't know, Rabbi. I always prefer Jackie Mason's response to that. I don't see if that's any of your business. <laughs> Whatever it is. However you say it. It's, not, it's, it's obviously none of their business. And it's so important to have that boundary. You can have a good friend. They don't have to know all your intimate issues. They're still a good friend. A lot of people think friendship is a bond of intimate issues. No, that's, that's marriage. Marriage is intimate. Friendship is not intimate. It's, it's, it's cordial, it's casual, it's fun, it's exciting. It's friendship. It's not intimate. And mentor is also extremely important. One mentor. And if the mentor is your mom, that's fine. If you're that close to your mom and your mentor is your mom, that's fine. But you've got to tell her the good and the bad. The problem with moms are their daughters are running to them when there's issues. And then when times are good, they never tell them. So what do the moms think about their sons-in-law? He is a big... What did my daughter do that? When you meet a mentor, do you mean like, a therapist, a rabbi? Therapist, rabbi, somebody you respect. And this is the key. This is the kicker here. Whatever they say, you've got to listen. Otherwise, they're not a mentor. Waste of time. Yes? Um, what happens if you're the type of person that doesn't like opening up to people? You, if you have trust issues? Um, not trust issues, but like, I'm, like if you're like a very like person who keeps certain things to yourself and doesn't like to tell the whole world. Then don't tell the whole world. No, I know, but like, how do you find that mentor? How do you... Just give me one second. Give me one second. I just want to ask them. You're, you have a lot of rabbis, you have a lot of people in your life, but you, you haven't felt... A connection to one person. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very against having a lot of 
mentors in your life. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is to find one. Like, it's you, not mentors, you have to, it's people that I learned. You have people. to find one. I mean, I, I, it, it took me a, a, quite a while to find my mentor. It's a very important process. You have to find someone. There's only one person. You can't just go and create a survey. You know, there are people who, who will go to, let's say, classes by 10 rabbis, and then they'll ask each rabbi, what do they think? It's very bad. That's called confusion. And that will put you in a much worse place than when you started off. It's very important to have one. If you, can't, if you, if you don't have someone that you can feel comfortable with, then you've got to wait. You've got to wait till you can find someone who you're comfortable with. You don't have to have your mentor today. How do you know somebody's the right mentor? You don't know. You just got to know to trust them. It is very important to have a mentor in a relationship where you're just fine or match for yourself. Yes, and in the relationship there should be, um, there should be two mentors, really. There should be your personal mentor and your, the couple should have a mentor. It could be the same person if... It's possible, but I don't even think it's a good idea. That they should be the same? For sure not. No. Because there needs to be a third party. Third party? You got a question? Yeah. yeah. What, is it, what do you mean by intimate, like in friendship? You said you shouldn't be intimate. A lot of, a lot of people feel that their, their relationships, need, their, their friendships, need to be intimate bond. If I tell my girlfriend all my intimate secrets, then we're going to have a real close bond and connection. That's not true. Your bond will not be any better. Actually, it'll be worse. That's what I mean. Intimacy is for a, a couple, not for two friends. Okay. Now, when you overdo the sharing and go on for too long, this often happens to people who suffer, lot, suffer from borderline personality disorders. Once they have your ear, they can go on and on, raging at you for hours, for real or imagined sins against them. When sharing will lead others to think you're immature, stupid, unstable, etc., this is how most thinking types view the feeling types. So they're going to say, this person's too sensitive. You're just feeling sorry for yourself. Get over it. Toughen up. In their presence, act self-confident and full of faith, even if it's just an act. Judaism believes you fake it till you make it. I think it's like that in anything more. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you've got to be real. Sometimes it's true. I'm not... Truth is very important, but sometimes you got to fake it too. Because if you do, by just by doing the action, you'll become that, especially, especially when it comes to values and good values. Okay, mm -hmm. what happens when, you're comp when you put that act on and you're at a certain point, you don't have the confidence anymore? I don't understand. How, how would that happen? Uh, I think sometimes Basically, when you can't take it for, for enough time. <laughs> Well, we're not talking about faking it for 10 years. Right. We're talking about faking it for a day, or for oh, two days, or, okay. for, or for a meeting. Because what happens all the time, you get people that are in a relationship, and they're a problem. And they try to act confident, and they try to act, what's the it's word, positive? It's too late, right? It's too late. When you're acting confident and positive, it's too late if you already have problems. Right. You've got to do that before the problems happen. Yeah, but not when there's, not when there's an underlying issue. 
faking it, it's faking it under, faking it in the midst, you know? <laughs> so what? what's, what's a good example? If you're, um, if you're, if you're going to be in a, if the fire is burning and the house is burning down, you don't fake being a rescue worker. Right. You fake being a rescue worker. Never. But you, you, you fake being something not when there's a fire burning. We'll go to this later. When sharing involves humiliation and shaming others, according to the laws of rebuke, you can share your opinions only if it's done calmly, lovingly, and in a quiet voice, in private, and concerning a trait which the other person is capable of changing. It's no use telling someone they're disorganized, unfriendly, passive, too sensitive, loud, if the person is not capable of or has no interest in changing these traits, don't tell them. It's very important not to be judgmental. You see, very often, it goes like this. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the nine to one rule. 90% of your communication with your spouse needs to be positive and encouraging. 10% can be the opposite. So, what are good feeling communications? Did everyone take a Did everyone write this down? Did, did, did you all write this down? Yeah. Okay. What? I didn't write you, no. Okay. What? We'll my, my next question to you is, what are good feeling communications? You're communicating. You're 90% with your spouse. What are they? I'm going to start you off. Smiles. Those are good feeling communications. Really easy, good feeling communications. What else? Laughter, jokes, jokes, yeah. Compliments. Compliments. Supportive. What does that mean? Like to, like, support, like to to help each other, to like to be there for yes. each other. So, so you're, so you're, so you're encouraging, or you're supporting, or you're validating. Yes. Can I use the word validating? Yeah. Okay, validating comments. What else? Gestures or body language. Well, yeah, smiles or gestures. Yeah. I agree with the young lady. Is that what you did? Me? No, next to you. Shayna? Yeah, I agree with Shayna. There's a, this thing of being supportive. I think it's very important. Well, Val, it, it's, it's, supportive is, not, is, is a very, it's very vague. We, we, we can't, the problem that a lot of couples have is their, their communication is very vague. I don't want to be vague here tonight. That's why I'm being very specific. Right. <laughs> what? Reinforcing a positive act that they have done for you. So how would you reinforce a positive act that someone's done for you? Flowers. I feel like I love flowers. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's direct. Direct appreciation. 
Not, this is nice. Not, I like this. That is not direct appreciation. Direct appreciation is, I like pink roses. Thank you for bringing me my favorite flowers, pink roses. Now he knows you like pink roses. And you know what? It's not less romantic. I promise. He's allowed to know that you like pink roses and not red roses. And you think he's going to read your mind? No, he's going to now buy you pink roses. And guess what? You happen to like pink roses. So until now, he's always buying you red roses. Until one day, he finds out that you actually like pink roses. So now, like every time, he brings you the red roses. You're like, oh, thank you. You're thinking in the back of your mind, I wish he would read my mind and just buy me the pink roses. But he can't read your mind. We can't expect him to read your mind. So you're allowed to tell him what you like. It's okay. It's still... Just as mysterious, it's just still just as much of a gift. Because guess what? Most important, when it comes to positive gestures, is gifts. Unless you look at your five love languages and gifts is on number five. Very rare that is, but... Is gifts and appreciation the same? Well, there's, there's verbal appreciation, right? There's words of affirmation. And there's also actual physical appreciation, gifts. If you like when he goes away, they should bring you back something. Because that means he was thinking about you. Don't expect him to read your mind. You've got to tell him. It's just as, just as good. Why, why does it constantly have to be a guessing game? And all of a sudden, like, oh, you hit the jackpot, you got it right. Guess what? You just guessed. I like gifts when you go away. Yes, absolutely. It makes me feel good. Because when you're away, I think you're not thinking of me. When you bring back gifts, now I know you were thinking about me even when I wasn't with you. Because you took the time to go out and buy me a nice little something. And that's the whole thing with Hollywood. Hollywood makes you think that you should mend over top by heart and just know what I want. It's n- we're not talking about one-day relationships here. We're talking about long-term relationships here. It's not a guessing game. Yes? Excuse me, but the third were jokes. Yes. I want to know, what do you have to do if you don't know what to joke? What well, you got to find. You can go online, type in jokes, and find a good joke. It's, humor is so important in a relationship. You need to be able to laugh. And not just laughing the first time you meet. You have to be able to laugh constantly. Find out what kind of jokes. You'll learn what kind of jokes the other person likes. Interesting conversation. Sympathy, empathy. Listening, right? Active, active listening. They don't have, then they have sympathy. You have one of the two. Sympathy is just as fine. Not as good, but good enough. Anyone know? Empathy is an understanding of a person's situation, and sympathy is more of an emotional. Does empathy actually feel like pain? Empathy is pain. Put yourself in their position, and you feel like they're feeling. Like yeah, 
have Absolutely. Sympathy is, I feel bad for you. Empathy is, I really feel what's going on. They're both okay. Obviously, empathy sounds better. But some people are just not empathetic. It's just not their nature. Now, what are criticisms? What are, what's the 10%? What do those look like? Number one, the opposite of a smile is a look. You know what I'm talking about? The look? <laughs> the look. You get to do that 10% of the time. That look will do more damage than, 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 than verbal abuse. Because that is a thought abuse. You are playing with a person's emotions, every part of the, who they are. Criticisms. Complaints. Any sign of anger, a raised voice, a body language, words, anything that has a sign of anger attached to it. Lack of attention. Sarcasm. Insults. Name-calling. Put-downs. Negativity. A bad mood. And one that a lot of people don't know, this is a very important one, instructions and requests. What do you mean? Includes backseat driving. Could you what do you mean by requests? If you say, I want you to do this, that's a put down. That's a put down. It's something that hurts you and you want them to do less. That's a put down. It's okay, you can do that. But you gotta make sure that you have 90% brownie points in order to make that happen. Yes? I read um, on an article on the every time you say something negative, like whatever that you have to share about your feelings, you should back down and ask you to It's a very similar idea, but I'm saying even more. Ten, Nine to one. It has to be so, they have to be so little. And the problem is that, what are we doing again? We are trying to build trust. These put-downs are hurting trust. You have a really, really hard time developing trust. If you're constantly being negative reinforcement. But if you... If your parents, if your father was constantly badgering you and negative to you, you're going to have a really hard time creating positive reinforcements. You've got to practice that now. Practice that every day, being positive. People you're around, you can do that right now. A great challenge that I have for you as a result of this class is tomorrow, tonight, right now. Start now. Try to be positive. Try to say positive things. Try to build up people that you're around. See what happens. Makes such an impact. The chances are they're going to want to be around you more because you're making them feel good. Everybody wants to be around someone who makes them feel good.
things for ten percent. So what do you do with all the other things that you don't say? You write them down. You write them down in the book. And you keep that book. And every time you have enough brownie points, you can bring one out. Don't forget about them, because they're very important. And I mean it, because they're going to build up inside of you. And eventually, you're going to break down. Don't forget about them. Write them down. But don't say them just because they came to your mind right now. Got to make sure that you have enough build up in order to do that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, page 23. When you're dealing with a well-intentioned mentor, advisor, who keeps urging you to share, take that advice with a grain of salt. Some personality types have great faith in the power of communication. Be wary of these peacemaker types. They will not take your feelings seriously. They believe that all problems can be solved with good enough will and with negotiation. They will urge you to forgive and forget, as if the past pain can be quickly wiped out with a bouquet of flowers or a meal in a fancy restaurant. Because they lack psychological depth, their grasp of problem is superficial. On the positive side, this allows them to be great mediators because they can stay calm and optimistic no matter how upset others are. They will willingly engage in marathon peace talks, urging opposing sides to make resolutions, contrasts and promises, and if the sides have integrity and goodwill, then this will bring true peace. However, if there's an emotional disturbance or a lack of integrity, all promises will soon be broken, as soon as there's a slightest irritation. On the negative side, these peacemaker personality types simply do not believe that evil exists. Instead, they assume that meanness or cruelty are temporary anomalies which should be ignored and forgotten as quickly as possible. In fact, they often take the side of the aggressor and blame the victim for not forgiving and making peace quickly enough. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah. May I ask a question? Sure. I, I found that whenever, quite often, you know, every time I, I'll speak from personal experience, I've, if I've been in a relationship that hasn't worked out, I found the best thing is to go back, look at myself, and see where can I improve. But I've also found that a lot of times mm -hmm. it comes back to what you're talking about, these, if you have too many people whom you uh, discuss everything with. So, for example, you'll have people who go to certain support groups, for example. They've been through, uh, you know, they have trouble be, uh, in relationships, for example, and they'll go to a support group. And they won't, have, they won't listen and absorb what the leader is talking about, kind of what you're, like what you're teaching, but they'll tell their problems to everybody. Everybody will give advice, 
And that advice is later on brought up to try to fix your relationship. And that's the problem. That's where it all starts. That is, that, that's not okay. Okay, that's what I thought. That's absolutely not okay. It's so important, it's so important to be able to focus on your own problems. If you go to a mentor, you're going so they should be able to help you solve your own problems, not to get advice. Not to go and come out feeling relieved and bliss. What's the difference? The difference is that you've got to face your own problems. You can't expect someone's going to solve your problems for you. Because what will end up happening is you're going to say, oh, that's a great idea. And by the time you walk out that door, you forgot that idea. Because it's not yours. The idea's got to be yours. And that's why, even though it's a cliche word, I like to use the word empower. A mentor, a psychologist, a therapist, needs to empower the person to make a good choice. The best choice that that person can help the other make. You try it out. You have to try it out. You don't have to tell. You don't have to tell your deepest secrets in the first uh, the first time. You try it out. Try something simple. See how it works out for you. You need to be able to feel leave that room feeling empowered. So I'm getting back to my original question about these support groups. They have, they serve a purpose, right? So if you go and you listen to a, or are you not a big fan of those? I'm a very big fan of them. Depends on what. Yes, for addiction. Yes, for. Um, for, for, um, for, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? For verification of your feelings, yes. Not to solve your problems. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying quite often, I, you'll, you'll meet a lot, there are a lot of people who go to these things and they expect these groups to solve their problems. Right, that's the problem. Yeah, okay. Page 24. I always try to make this practical. Let's talk about some practical things here. It can be very painful to be in the presence of someone with whom you cannot communicate, especially if the person is demanding, hostile, or indifferent. And even more so, if you're living with such a person, you can bang your head against the wall and pull your hair out in frustration. You can scream, threaten, and engage in acts of vengeance and violence. It's not going to change the brain patterns and their level of sensitivity. As with all difficulties, this is for your spiritual growth. I really believe, I truly believe, that everything that happens to us is for a reason. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we need to wear it on our forehead. But it means that we need to know that our experiences, the things that have happened to us in our life, are for us. It's part of our growth. It's part of our maturity. It's part of us becoming a better person. Now we can choose, choose actively or passively to let it bring us down. Or we can choose actively or passively, never passively, only actively, to let it to bring us up. But there's only two ways to go in life, up or down. That's it. And we need to choose the right way. And we need to surround ourselves with good feelings, with good vibes, with good people. Because... People who are constantly uh, 
talking negatively about others will bring us down. We're going to be affected by that, even if we like that. I know it's exciting, it's exhilarating at first. You don't have to talk about everyone else's problems, like your own little soap opera. Soap operas used to be popular, now they're not. You know why? Because we're sick of everyone else's problems. We're finally ready to face our own problems. And the moment we make that firm proclamation to face our own problems, everything changes. We make the right choices. We choose to be around the right people. We listen to the right things. We actively listen to those things. So, I've got some spiritual games for you. Number one, play fish. Practice being a quiet fish, not talking, or at least swimming in the waters of faith and trust in God, and repeat words of prayers, and be proud of your self-discipline. Practice being an active listener. Try it out. Try to be quiet. Try to... It's amazing. It's really amazing. Most people who talk a lot think they never talk. And most people who never talk think they talk a lot. Why do you think that is? Exactly. Well, more than that. You end up being. You end up manifesting what you're not. We're like a mirror. The Mishnah says that what we see is a mirror of ourselves. If you saw it, sometimes you can see something. You're like, there's a hundred people here. Didn't anyone not see what just happened? Like, well, did you not just see that? Like, no, I didn't see that. You saw it because you were meant to see it. And you saw it because it's a mirror of yourself. There's something about you, especially when it bothers you. It bothers you because it's close to you. Because it matters to you. If it matters to you, listen. Listen to life's messages. Listen to the signs on the wall. Number two, be proud of your emotional modesty. Be proud of your ability to realize that it's not always appropriate to expose your feelings. I know we always want to, because we think the world's our therapist. The world is not our therapist. We are our own therapist. There's no one that will be able to solve your problems. Only you. You can tell a million people it's still not going to change anything unless you decide to change it. Yes. Of course. But not too much. Don't be complacent. Count fingers. With non-communicative people, keep your answers down to five words or less. The fingers of one hand, as in, that's not comfortable for me. Or, I cannot multitask right now. Keep it simple. Is a simple person? Keep it simple. And number four, turn it around. Give yourself whatever it is that you want from the other person that you'll never get, such as unconditional love, understanding, appreciation, praise, and time. If you're looking for someone else to give it to you, and you're not getting it, give it to yourself. Is there not anyone that loves you more than yourself? 
Actually, yeah. Think about it. Don't think your mom. Absolutely. You're, you love yourself more than you love your mom, or than anything your mom loves you. You think so? Absolutely, no question about it. I don't know. You know what's best for yourself more than Oh, okay. Communication. Let's talk about practical communication. Practical communication looks something like this. Jason, you ready? Let's, let's try to work through an issue. What's, what's your issue today? My issue is that uh, not one that we did last week. Uh, um, I want to go and have a boys' night. You want to have a boys' night. Is that a good enough issue? Does anyone have a better issue than boys' night? I want something that really... really I want a tough right? one. I want one that we got to communicate with. I, I don't, I don't, I don't Give us a it. tough okay. issue. I don't, <laughs> he doesn't like my mother. Is that good enough? Yeah. How long are we in a relationship for? A year. We're in a relationship for a year. Okay. Now, where are we? What did we talk about last week? How do we create a communication? How, how do we create communication? Well, your, your, your mother went and... Oh, how, how do we establish this conversation? What did we say last week? Can we establish this conversation walking down the street? It's a nice night. Can we, can we talk about this? What? To stop. It has to be face-to-face. It has to be face-to-face. There could be no distractions. No phones, no internet, no nothing. We are totally focused. We can't be lying in bed. We can't be... It has to be active Participation. Two people sitting across from each other. So we're in a restaurant. Candlelit? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, what kind of flowers? Roses. Okay, roses. Okay. Okay, what are we eating for dinner? Yeah, Oh, sushi! <laughs> okay. Okay, so we got some good uh, volcano rolls in front of us. And, yeah. and amami beans. Okay, so now... So now I'm bring I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off. So you're the, you're the wife. Or you're the I'm the wife. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna do negative communication first, and then we're gonna go to positive communication. You're gonna have to tell me all the things I, all the mistakes. I'm gonna, you have to tell me all the mistakes that I made. Now we're in a crowded restaurant here. Am I supposed to make mistakes? Or am I supposed to? Make you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I saw when you were at my in- when you were at my parents last night that you have something wrong with my mom. My mom loves you. My mom thinks you're the greatest thing that happens since chicken soup. Why do you always say that my mom, my mom, my mom? She likes you. Well, she didn't act like it last night. She 
last time. She was overly critical of me. Because she, she cares about you. She really cares about you. She thinks that you're so good and she wants the best for you. How, why can't you understand that my mom wants the best for you? Is there making excuses for her? She, 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 she told me that herself. You know, I went home. You know, last night when we got into that fight, I went to my mom. You're not letting me tell me. I I need to express my feelings. I understand it's your mom. Okay, and I feel bad. Yeah, but you're making me feel bad. You're making me feel like like my mom's a bad person. No, she's not a bad person, but she's making me feel bad. And she's making me feel like less of a man. And I don't appreciate it. Less of a man? Why would she make you feel like less of a man? Because maybe she never liked me from the beginning. What do you mean? But she likes you. I'm telling you, she likes you. Yeah, so my Okay, thank you. So what what happened over there? What did I do wrong? I interrupted a lot. No validation. No validation. Not even for a moment. I didn't even validate him for a second. What else? I raised my voice. Didn't acknowledge his feelings. I didn't acknowledge him. Is this not a typical conversation? Very typical. It was, it was, was literally no, all about you. There was no sympathy or empathy. It was very self-absorbed. There was no sympathy. Well, you know, why was I so, why was I so self-absorbed? Because you weren't listening to him. Because you, you weren't being asked You were upset. Why was I being defensive? Because you, you felt like your mom was a reflection of you also. Because I must be very close with my mom. And this is a very touchy subject. And I'm going to be defensive if you're going to start attacking me. So there's two ways over here. I am not the only one at fault over here. He's also at fault. Even though it looks like he was doing the right thing, he was still accusing my mom of something, and I had to defend her. Uh, from, his, from his feelings. From his feelings. Because sometimes we have feelings, but they're not the actual reality. It's just like we get caught up. So, so let's, let's redo the whole thing, and I want to make some, some, some statements here. Number one is, what are we first doing? The first thing before we start this, this conversation, once again, we're doing it in a place where, we're, where it's an active conversation, not a passive conversation. We're not in the car on the way home from work and just kind of talking about something serious because it just kind of came up in my mind and voila. We're, we're, I may, we made it, I am going to talk about this. Not only that, but actually I'm going to do something better. I'm going to call Jason up and I'm going to say to Jason, we're going out for dinner tonight and I want to talk about my mom. Three hours before, what is that going to do for him? It's going to prepare him. So now he already knows that we're having a serious discussion tonight. Is that okay? Are we allowed to do that? Or do we have to be at the whim, at the spare of the moment, make it all mysterious? Because it's more romantic, right? To have an argument that's mysterious. Okay. Next thing I want to establish here in this communication is we can't accuse each other of anything. You can't accuse my mom of anything and I can't accuse you of anything. We're not accusing of anyone because there's no one, there's nothing to accuse. Number three, we'll start off because we're not good communicators yet. I know it's cliche, but we're going to start off with the salt shaker, which means Whoever has a salt shaker in their hand, that's who talks. Until you get the salt shaker into your hand, you can't say a word. Because we're not good communicators yet. 
Eventually, you can become good communicators. Right now, we need something exterior that's going to help us become a good communicator. So now, for me to create the salt shaker in this relationship, in this conversation, what am I doing? I'm giving up what? The ability to respond. I may have to wait a long time. So now, how do I be an active listener when I have something to say? Am I not supposed to be an active listener, right? Isn't that number four? I've got to be an active listener, but I have something to say. Give me the freaking salt shaker already. So what do I do then? Can I have the salt shaker? <laughs> <laughs> that is a big problem that's going to happen because you will not hear a word that I'm saying because all you're thinking about is what you have to tell me right now. Can you write it down? Can she write it down? I would say you can, but if you could come back to the other person with a huge list of like, listen, I have a list of things that I have wrong with you here. Number one, like, okay, let's like let's that. let's try it out. Let's see. That, that that is a way of that is a way of doing it. Let's let's try writing it down. Okay, you okay? You got a pen? You got a pen in front of me? Okay, we are going to try this. Who who knows the five rules that is established? Number one. No no criticism. No criticism. Number two. Face to face, number three, salt shaker. Number four, no accusations. No accusations no criticism. What else? No raising voice. No raising your voice, and active listening. Okay, let's try it out. You know what's coming. You know we already talked about it. Um, listen, I thought about what we what you what we were going to talk about tonight and. I appreciate that uh, you're open to, to discussing it. Um, you know, I, I like your mom. She's a, she's a good person, and uh, you know, I really hope we can work this out. Um, I feel like uh, you know I've been going through some tough times, and I may be reacting a little sensitively to the way she, to the way she's acting. Um, but right now, I'm not in a very good place, and uh, I hope that uh, you know we can move on. Next time I come over, uh, I'll make sure that uh, I'll make sure that that, uh, that we talk, and uh, I want to make things uncomfortable between you and your mom. That uh, I do like her very much, and um, I know we'll uh, I know we'll get through this. So, uh, what do you think about that? What do I think about that? Um, By the way, that could happen. And you got to be okay with it. Just to keep, like, to, to have to keep, it's a very important you factor that you're missing here. Um, Something very important you're missing in this conversation. Someone want to tell? Them? Pass, the <laughs> Pass the salt shaker. Oh. <laughs> very important. You can't take the salt shaker. You have to be given it. That means the person's done speaking. Again, this doesn't happen. Well, this is. What if you're like busting up, like you said, like you're busting? Write it down. Write it down. <laughs> Take the napkin. Huh? The passing of a salt shaker. 
Again, this, this is just to establish communication. Passing the salt shaker also allows for the time. It's okay. We want time. This conversation is not going to last 10 seconds. This conversation is going to last 30 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. That's okay. It's got to go slow. It's got to, we got to let the emotions, things are going to get rough. We're going to feel things. I mean, if, if this is really something that's happening, it's, really, it's a real problem in our lives. I, I really appreciate that you understand the concern that I have. You know, she is my mother, after all. And I really, I care about her, and she's really my best friend, and I've, you know, we've always been really close, and I really love you, and the fact that you don't like her, it's really, it's really, it's problems. It's, it's not that I don't, I don't like her, it's just that we had some, have some rough patches when, uh, when, uh, Going through a tough time, and I said some things to her that I didn't mean, and I know that moms remember everything, and you can't go and take those things, take those things back. Um, but uh, I'm going to do my best to, from now on to establish a relationship with your mom because I don't want to make things uncomfortable between you two, and I don't want to force you to have to pick between me and her. That communication. It's valuable. You saw some key issues in our communicating. We always started off with a compliment, and then we got to the issue. But we knew we were talking an issue. This is not, we don't have to have the five to one rule, because we already warned each other this was going to be a difficult conversation. We need to have those difficult conversations. What I find very often in our society is a lot of people have difficult conversations after they're engaged, even after they're married. We're so scared of having difficult conversations before we get engaged, because maybe something's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. What's going to happen is if we don't communicate properly. That's when something's going to happen. If we don't communicate, of course you're going to have issues. Oh, wow, we're really over. Okay. So, just to sum up, and then we can go to questions, and I'm happy to stay afterwards as well. Communication is everything. In your relationship, there's not going to be something as important as your communication. Don't assume. Ask. Don't assume he likes you or he doesn't like you. Ask him. Active asking. Active listening. Don't ask him, do you like me? What would the question be? The question would be... Insecurity. No, what, what would the question be? If you want to know if... Does that make sense? I would even say, like, like how do you remember me and my company? Like, you know, do you enjoy me? Do, do you have a good time? What can I do to make this relationship better for you? It's that simple. We've got to be active in our relationship and active in the giving, active in the receiving. And that's the secret to communication. Next week we'll talk about arguing. <laughs>